For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. My name is Sean Trotar. Sandy Clough is on my left. The Denver Broncos will have their rookies report to training camp tomorrow. So here, here we are talking about training camp. It is, uh, we're, we're, we're moving. So, with the rookies, obviously, one of the challenges is some of these guys are already hurt and weren't able to contribute in OTAs in the last uh, So That's true with Mims and, 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 Drew, and Drew Sanders as Drew well. Sanders also, yes. And those are the two guys, obviously, you hope might get playing time and uh, fairly in, quickly, in if not immediately. Mims' case, now obviously you look at the the depth of the Broncos wide receivers, and it is it is deep, though it is, for the most part, um, I'm not going to say a mirage, but Cortland Sutton has produced at a high level in his career. Okay. Tim Patrick, I think, has produced at a reasonable level as a, as a possession receiver, certainly gotten touchdowns in his career. Jerry Judy has produced in chunks of his career. Uh, none well, of which, these, uh, which Cortland Sutton are you talking about? The first the two years? surgery Cortland right. Sutton. I'll agree with you there. And the last two years, I would not agree. That's where I think it's interesting because there's this sort of presumption that the, the Broncos wide receiver group is deep and it's talented. Yeah. KJ Hamler, right. by the way, also hurt. They drafted yeah. uh, Marvin Mims. Right. Uh, they brought in uh, Callaway, who formerly actually even had a, a, a little bit of the Saints there, so some familiarity with Sean Payton. There is a lot of talent. But then again, this is one of the things we've talked about in the last week or so as we've been prepping for training camp, Sandy. The idea of promise versus production. Yes. And while a lot of the Broncos have, have shown flashes of being uh, very talented, a lot of it is still waiting to be manifested. And this presumption that it will happen, and this is an immensely deep and, and skilled group. Uh, raw talent? Okay. Skill? Mm, that's a different thing. Skill kind of comes with uh, experience and knowledge. And the Broncos just haven't really shown in the receiver groups that they have that yet. That hasn't been able to put and put all together. And certainly with Russell Wilson's bad season, uh, it, it obviously delayed that. But what the Broncos are hoping for for their offense, and certainly what fans are looking for offensively, is that Wilson is going to find a way to sync up, get better, vastly better than he was last year, mm-hmm. and sync up with all of these talented receivers so everyone has a bang-up year. And that just seems unlikely Well, that, those aren't unrelated. In no. fact, they're completely interrelated. Yes. And, and they can be difficult to separate I had from the, the impression, other. and you and I were chatting about this before the program, and no, I don't know that I could go back and find a specific Russell Wilson quote where he declared definitively that the receivers he was joining in Denver were better than those he had left in Seattle. I doubt I could find a specific quote yeah. where he makes that 
Pretty direct assertion, that. but at the very least, he had opportunities to say, wait a minute here, the guys I had in Seattle were wonderful. I never had an issue with my receivers in Seattle. They were terrific, and it may take a little bit of time to develop the same kind of chemistry, rapport, whatever you want to call it, with the receivers here. There was no attempt to say that people were wrong in just assuming that Sutton and Judy in particular were better than Metcalf and Lockett. There, there was no attempt by anybody, Wilson, the coaches, other players, the receivers themselves here in Denver to say, hey, wait a minute, those two in Seattle are pretty good. And they're still regarded as two of the top 15 to 20 receivers in the NFL. Uh, Metcalf, rated by uh, ESPN's survey, which we've been talking Mm -hmm. about, Uh, administrators, executives, general managers, (laughs) coaches, players, uh, pretty comprehensive survey of people who are closest to the action in the NFL. Metcalf rates number eight. Among all wide receivers in the NFL, and Tyler Lockett picked up at least one vote as a top 10 receiver in the NFL. No votes, no honorable mentions, no top 10 ranking for any Bronco receiver. Not a one. Certainly not Sutton. Patrick was hurt and missed all of last year. And even Judy in the final six games did not do enough to make you forget the previous 11, many of which he did not participate in because of injury. And injuries affected the grading and the rankings considerably. Well, as well they should. Cooper Cup is as good a receiver as there is in the NFL. But he's rated fifth because he missed half of last year. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he missed nine games. A thousand yard season by twenty eight yards, and there were well. 20, if you're on this list, you have to be a one thousand. There were twenty one wide receivers that had a thousand or more yards last year. So uh, while while it is still a line of demarcation, it is not. You're not the uh, elite now, uh, of the, the best Cup of the best. But but he's His production in half a season, uh, in passes caught, would have rounded out if he had stayed healthy and played every game to 142 catches. Right. Presumably well over 1,000 yards, <laughs> right? Uh, one would On think. 140. Now, I know he only averaged uh, 10.8 yards per pass reception, and that was about three yards, maybe more than three yards less than he had averaged in the Rams Super Bowl season the year before. My point being that forget for the moment, we're always talking about Wilson, but forget for the moment, what we may or may not think about Wilson's ability to recover his form this year. With receivers, you got five main things you're looking for, generally. Route running, mm-hmm. hands, mm-hmm. yards after catch, ball carrying right. talent. Think of Debo Samuel in that regard. Yes, definitely. Debo Samuel will never have scintillating numbers as just a rusher or just as a receiver. But you put the two together. Last year wasn't his best year by his own admission, but you put the two together, you have a hell of a player, right? Separator. 
and the speed to be cornerbacks deep. Mm-hmm. My view is that the Broncos do not have a single wide receiver on their roster who is elite in any of those areas. Mm. That absolutely no one I'd, who is I'd, elite in any of I'd those disagree. areas. I'd and don't tell me about Judy as a route runner. I will. Because Judy runs his own routes that have, uh, at least until the last six games last season, nothing to do with the play that was called. So he says, I'm open. Well, you were open before you should have been or after you should have been. And if that's the case, you're a lousy route runner. You're just selfish. I, boy, you're just selfish. I, I and that's what that. scouts say. That's what every football person I've talked to said about Judy, uh, certainly over the first two, two and a half years of his career. He does not get open when you need to get open. Receivers come back to the huddle occasionally, those who aren't good route runners, and tell a quarterback, this instance for the sake of the conversation, a veteran quarterback, hey, I was open. And the standard response from the Peyton Mannings of the world, the Tom Brady's of the world, was get out of this huddle. You weren't open when you should have been. Cody Latimer might have said that. Probably not, but might have said that a number of times. And Peyton Manning would say, get him off the field. Right. He's not open when he's supposed to be open. According to the progression, he's supposed to be open at this point. I don't care if he's open before or after I'm looking for him. He He might as well be covered by five people. If he's not open when he's supposed to be, he's not running routes the right way. That's the difference in college. There's certainly because yes, there's certainly as a route ways. runner in college, well, you throw to the guy when he gets open. The pass offenses, yes, even at Alabama, different. are considerably less sophisticated. They aren't based as much on timing. So that that's why guys who run good routes in college, quote unquote, are not necessarily. Great route runners in the pros. You know who's an exception to that? Justin Jefferson. Sure. Who was known for a lot of things in college, including route running ability. Justin Jefferson might be the best route runner in the NFL. He might be the best receiver in the NFL. And he's not playing with the best quarterback, although I think the quarterback he's playing with is a little bit underrated in Kirk Cousins, who on any quarterback list may not be top 10, but he's going to be honorable mention. Just the sheer, again, production, not mm-hmm. potential. Sure. Decision-making, accuracy, processing information. Uh, Kirk Cousins, I know, rubs some people the wrong way and has a knock because he's not necessarily great in big games, especially nighttime games uh, in which his is career, weird, I suppose, which anyway, is kind of a weird thing. It really is. But I'll tell you what, Justin Jefferson runs routes. Devontae Adams runs routes. Jamar Chase has other strengths, route running and hands. Mm, probably that's why he's third behind Jefferson and Adams. My point being with the, with the Broncos, Sutton wasn't known as a great route runner. He's known as a guy who'd go up and catch the 50-50 passes mm-hmm. successfully 90% of the time. In his first two years, that's why I asked you which Sutton you're talking about. Right. Sutton of the first two years, the Sutton of the last two years. Sutton in the last two years isn't even close to being a top 20 receiver in the NFL. I don't think so, no. I, I, I agree with that. I don't think that's the case. 
And it, it is, I, I guess I, I would disagree. I do think that, that Judy is a, uh, is an above average route runner. I don't think he's necessarily elite. I also think that we have to, it's, it's hard to disassemble this. It's the trick with football, right? I mean, you know, how much of this is based on an offensive scheme that borderline non-existent. Um, it, it is true. We're not talking about just last year. Judy is a guy that does that. I, I think does need coaching. I think he needs coaching. I think he needs to consistently be pushed. He's got but, a pretty good wide receiver. But I think that, yeah. And I think that after catch, I do think he is close to elite in space. No, he's not Tyreek Hill, but nobody else is. I think he's very, very good after the catch. Uh, it depends on, you know, how you want to define it. But I think that, that, yeah. I think that Judy is is as good a route runner the Broncos have. I think he's the best. Well, he I bet he's the best wide receiver in space and after the catch that I, the Broncos have. I agree have. that the Broncos have, but I I would still submit he is not a. I'm saying not elite. I'm not saying he isn't any good. I'm saying he's not elite in any of these categories. And by elite, I mean top five, you know, maybe top ten, uh, because if you read the summary. And they're quoting, obviously, on an anonymous basis. Right. All these executives. You're not supposed to comment on other teams' players. So it's got to be anonymous. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, they're not going to comment on other teams' players for uh, public record by name. But all these guys who are ranked even as honorable mentions, uh, guys receiving votes don't get comments made about them. They don't have the space for that. But they're all viewed in at least one of these areas as being top 10. They aren't all in the top 10, mm-hmm. obviously, right. but in, in one of those areas, at least one, they're usually elite. And my argument would be that Judy isn't quite there yet. Um, the hands, that seemed to be better last year. There were fewer drops. And listen, uh, Jamar Chase, I think, had seven drops last year and tied for the league lead in drops. So, Jamar Chase, when it comes down to the act of catching the football, is not elite. The thing isn't for the five <laughs> other yeah. areas. He is. Yes. And that's why he ranks third overall. There's no real the, rating for, uh, for clutch. The, the only, that's not a thing. The only receivers, I think, from what I, I read today and reading all the summer, are pretty much elite in just about every category are Jefferson and Adams. I mean, Tyreek Hill isn't a great route runner, but the thing with Tyreek Hill is every corner is playing 15 yards off him. Right. (laughs) So he doesn't have to be a precise route runner. Right. But, no, if you're asking me who's a better route runner, Jerry Judy or Tyreek Hill, I'd say Jerry Judy because he has to be. Tyreek Hill has just about everything else. Yeah. No, he's not known for running precise patterns because he's never had to do it. And he had, what, 1,700-plus yards last year receiving yeah, with uh, the Dolphins. said that he'll be going to 2,000 this said, year. said, well, and it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a stretch. But, it is. Uh, but, again, for, for someone in his first year with a team, nobody's ever in their first years with a team had 1,700-plus yards, as Tyreek Hill uh, did last year. And I, Cooper Cup, route running, obviously, uh, is there. The, the speed to beat cornerbacks deep, I don't know that he's known for his speed, but you get the idea. And 
I, I just think for, for a team whose receivers, even to this day, are still considered, if not the strength of the team as a position group, then right behind the secondary. The secondary has produced, Sertan and Simmons mm-hmm. in particular. To me, the wide receivers have not. Now, now Judy, for six games at the end of last year, produced as an elite receiver might. Here's the problem with that. In one of those games, Brett Rippon played quarterback for the Broncos. And in the other games, talking about the final six of the season, where Russell Wilson supposedly finished strong, only three out of the six games did Wilson outperform his opposite number in terms of passer rating. And one of those games was the Kansas City game, remember, where the Chiefs went way ahead early and then Patrick Mahomes started throwing interceptions on every other pass there for a while. Right. And Wilson, by the end of the game, had a higher passer rating. That was one of the games that the Broncos really didn't come all that close uh, to winning. And then the week after that game, Rippon played. And then Wilson in the final three games was outplayed by Baker Mayfield and by Mahomes in the game in Kansas City. And in the last game, uh, Wilson beat out Herbert in a throwaway game. Nobody was playing of any consequence for the Chargers because they had already clinched a playoff spot, 118.6 to 1072. So I, I, I'm saying uh, it, it cuts both ways, and maybe the receivers were adversely affected oh, by I, a Russell Wilson who didn't were. play as well as yes. Teddy Bridgewater had the year before. You're right. I, I think they undoubtedly were. I think that was part of the equation, but it's it's difficult to, to split it all out. It is interesting, though, I guess, that I, I look – and I, I suspect, you know, you, we can take this with uh, a grain of salt. But there are some interesting numbers for Pro Football Focus when we talk about Jerry Judy in particular, who can they, they'll take it apart in the receiving part only, as well as the overall offensive number, comparing him with Metcalf and with Lockett. There are some numbers that I think are intriguing. I don't think Sandy will like them, but we'll talk about it next on Biolife Sports. <laughs> Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Over at Pro Football Focus, and you know, like using the numbers, there's value to it. You have to take it with a grain of salt, obviously, but I think there's some value to it. If you look at just their receiving ratings, Jerry Judy was a 77.9 last year. That's 27th in the league. That doesn't sound unrealistic to me, given the eye test. Uh, The interesting thing is 29th in the league at 77.7 was Tyler Lockett. 25th at at 78.7 was DK Metcalf. When you look at the overall offensive rating, when they put that together and you just actually include everything that's involved with it, Jerry Judy jumps to 24th in the league at 78.4, slightly ahead of Lockett at 77.9 and Metcalf at 77.7, who were 27th and 28th, respectively. This puts Judy 
in the same neighborhood as T. Higgins of Cincinnati, of Mike Williams mm. of the Chargers, of Brandon Ayuk of the Niners. I think that's about right. But at 24 years old and with a better year from Russell Wilson, I think there's a possibility for upside. I think Jerry Judy righted the ship. And there's part of it, Sandy, that's interesting because we talk about those final six games. Those would be NFL weeks, 13 through 18, of course. He really was very good in those. But it's interesting that at that point, in the previous games, because he played from week one to week eight, he got hurt in week nine. They tried to come back in week 10. It didn't work. Sat out 11 and 12, came back against Baltimore in week 13. Only at that point against Baltimore in week 13 did Jerry Judy start taking most of his snaps on the outside as opposed to the slot. And there, all of a sudden, the connection between Judy and Wilson started to look a lot better. Coming into this year, whereas going at the beginning of last year, even though Judy is a first-round pick, the thought process was, well, Court Sutton is still clearly the wide receiver number one. Tim Patrick's our big body on the outside, so he's going to be other outside guy. Judy will play in the slot. By the end of the year, of course, Patrick missed the whole season. Judy clearly need, Judy is now clearly wide receiver one on this team, and it's not even all that close. Right. And uh, that's just the reality of things. And I understand that fans look at it and go, but Cortland Sutton's, look, look, 2022 and 2023, Jerry Judy is the top wide receiver on this team by a wide margin. He also clearly is better when he's on the outside as opposed to in the slot. That's something the Broncos have to consider because um, if you want to run three wide, who's in the slot? You're right. Because right. Cortland Sutton isn't really that guy. Mm-hmm. Tim Patrick certainly isn't that guy. Now, presumably, uh, maybe that could be a Mims. But then again, that's your fourth wide receiver. This is where it's kind of tricky. You don't really have a, a true slot guy. Judy can do it, but he's provably better on the outside. Now, I think you might see that solve with the Broncos in a lot of cases because they're going to be running the ball more. They added a fullback. They might not be running three wide as often as they're as you might think. They may not even they, have a guy in the slot. They'll run it less than they have in recent years. Certainly less than they did last year. Yeah. I mean, that would be, yes, almost impossible. Yeah, it to goes do it without more. saying. The, but the, the concept here, and I, I look at it, and I, I praise Judy there, but I'll also take a look back at Russell Wilson's. Uh, I went back and look at all his receivings. I, bro- I broke it down when he was originally added to the Broncos. Went back from 2015 through 2021. Sliced and diced some of the numbers. But it's not just Metcalf and Lockett. And I agree with you. I think Jerry Judy has a lot of talent. I think Jerry Judy may take a leap forward. I wouldn't take him over Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf if I had to play a game today. If I'm just playing an NFL game and I'm picking guys, I'm picking both Lockett and Metcalf. Metcalf way before Judy. Yes. And, and probably Lockett before oh, as well. Absolutely. But it's not just those two, because remember, prior to Metcalf, the leading target getter for the Seahawks was Doug Baldwin, who was also uh, not a chump as a wide receiver. And quite frankly, I would take Doug Baldwin over anybody on the Denver Broncos uh, when he was playing there. Don't uh, forget that also his number two guy, when even Lockett was there, was Jimmy Graham. There's no Jimmy Graham on the Denver Broncos. I mean, I'm, I'm bullish on Greg Dolch's potential, but it's not going to be Jimmy Graham. The top wide receivers for Wilson going from back to 2015 in targets, and I'll even go with the, the, the three, okay? 2015, Baldwin, Graham, and Lockett. All three better than anybody the Broncos have as receivers. 2016, uh, Baldwin, Graham, uh, 
Jermaine Curse actually then had 90, yeah. and Lockett was fourth. Uh, okay, Curse is different, but I'm still looking at the other ones. 2017, uh, Baldwin Graham, and then former Buff Paul Richardson for a year. Lockett was fourth. 2018, Baldwin and Lockett. And then they had the, that was the year they did have a drop-off because then you were looking at a Moore and tight end Vanette being the next in targets. That continued in 2019 when uh, Jacob Hollister took over as the tight end, and it was Lockett and then Metcalf joined. Lockett and Metcalf soaked up all the targets, 100-plus each. And then you've seen it go on from there. But Baldwin, Lockett, Graham, and Metcalf are all better than any receiver the Denver Broncos have on their roster. All of them. So the one mistake that I think a lot of people made, and not only in town, but and national commentators, who quite frankly should have known a lot better. I could almost see the blinders here in Denver. But national commentators who should have known better saying that, look at the wide receivers that Russell Wilson is joining. What made you think that they, at what point, quite frankly, and I, I mean no disrespect of Cortland, to Cortland Sutton, at what point did Cortland Sutton in his career ever look better than Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf? Even in the first two years, did he look better? Uh, I don't think I'm not so. sure he looked better. Uh, Tim Patrick is, a, I, I is an think awfully a lot good of that comes out of the receiver. fact that nobody paid any, any attention to the Broncos in those years. And in fact, for the last six years, apart from the first half of last year when they were on national TV all the time, no one's really paid much attention to the Broncos. So they they look at guys and they look at numbers. The location they were that's drafted. all they go on. And, you know, the disappointing thing about Jerry Judy is not that he isn't better than Justin Jefferson because Justin Jefferson is the best receiver in football. But why isn't Jerry Judy even close to CeeDee Lamb? Of which, at the time, it was considered those two were kind of pick your poison. I thought so. I mean, I thought it was pretty close to 50-50, maybe 51-49 in the minds of the Broncos. I would have leaned toward Lamb. The Broncos took Judy. I certainly wasn't going to skewer them for that, but over the course of three years, Dak Prescott last year had a 93 QBR quarterback rating, which is not passer rating. That's a rating from one to a hundred, right? Mm -hmm. He got a 93 when he's targeting CD Lamb, who had 1,359 yards, receiving last year, and nine touchdowns. When Dak Prescott was targeting anybody else other than C.D. Lamb, his QBR was 57.9, which is better than average and certainly not bad, but it's nowhere near 93. Right. That's how good C.D. Lamb was. You get the same kind of thing with Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. When Stafford's throwing a cup, he averages 8.7 yards per pass, when he's thrown everybody else last year at 6.2, and he looks like he's washed up. And part of the problem with Matthew Stafford was last year, not only did he get hurt at the end of the year, that's why Baker Mayfield played against the Broncos on mm-hmm. Christmas Day, but Cooper Cup missed about half the season with injuries, including much of the time that Stafford was healthy. Cooper Cup was not. So for what it's worth, when by he's the way, thrown to Cooper Cup, re- Matthew Stafford's a top five quarterback. When he's thrown offense, to everybody else, he's one of the worst quarterbacks. Despite in the, the uh, despite the fewer, although he still had you know ninety five targets on the year, uh, he finished both in receiving and in offense uh, pro, pro Football Focus at seventh. Despite that, I mean, uh, there are 
when you're talking about the guys that are sort of monsters that you have to game plan for, and, and I think, you know, you can, you can quibble with the ESPN rankings, you can do whatever. But if, but if you look at these overall, and we'll, I'll grab the pro football focus ones because we've talked about the ESPN. Are there any of these guys that you go, uh, no, that doesn't seem right? Number one, overall, Tyreek Hill, when you're talking about just overall offensive contribution, which you get, you could use them in reverses and things like that. Number two, the name may surprise you, but if you play, paid attention or maybe if you were one of those fantasy football players, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown last year, who was remarkable on Detroit, Jefferson, Adams, Stephon Diggs, A.J. Brown of the Eagles, Cooper Cup, C.D. Lamb, Keenan Allen, Jamar Chase. That's your top 10. Then you go to Drake London from Atlanta, Garrett Wilson of the Jets, Jalen Waddell of the Dolphins, Chris Olave of the Saints, Amari Cooper with Cleveland, Devonta Smith of Philly, Terry McLaurin of 17, Brandon Ayuk, Jerry Judy, T. Higgins. That rounds out your top 20. Terry McLaurin's better than that. Terry McLaurin. I You're believe, talking about playing with. I believe that Terry McLaurin is a top ten receiver he by is. a by a wide. Yes, I, yeah, I think he's phenomenal, and that he'd be higher if he was playing with. A I think so too, and, and some of these ratings, even you know, with, that matters to it. It does. It is it when you look at a guys in, that are listed here like Devonta Smith and AJ Brown. If they didn't have two top wide receivers, they'd pile up more stats, and one of them would be higher. I, I get all of that, but the Broncos just don't have most of the guys I listed. When you look at the week and you're an opposing coach, you're looking at those names for the most part that I listen and say, okay, how do we make sure we stop them? That's a focus. Jerry Judy's the best Broncos wide receiver. But he is. at this point, teams don't worry about how do we stop Jerry Judy. No, no. And that's a great distinction, I think, to make. And even among the top 10 There's guys There's no alteration of your league, normal game plan. I, I'm not sure you setter your game plan on stopping all of those 10. No. Most of them, yes. Hill, Jefferson, but not, Adam, not, not all, all of them. Uh, Jefferson, yes. Adams, yes. And I think Chase, as good a yes. year as he had. but although, like, although, even with Chase, you've got Higgins. Right. So, so you do can't you do too much. you 90% of your game plan against the pass? Well, you have Tyler Boyd over there, too. Chase. Right. Uh, Hill, yes. Cup, probably yes. Uh, Diggs, yes. A.J. Brown, you've got Smith. Yeah, you can't DK do too much Metcalf, when there's two. you got Lockett. Yep. Uh, Terry McLaurin, I would say yes. CeeDee Lamb, I would say yes. But not not every one of the top ten. There, there aren't ten receivers no. against whom you, you center your, your game plan. plan. No, there are not. That's true. That's, you, there simply aren't. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would argue at this point, due to the nature of the position, you probably find yourself more concerned about if you're actually talking about altering your normal game plan because you need to do it, you're probably more concerned about the tight end position because the tight end position with the players that are there now are the ones that can sort of break your defense because they're too fast for many of your linebackers and too big for many of your safeties and corners. Uh, You look at the top guys there, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard, uh, Pat Fryermuth, those guys, you know, Kyle Pitts, TJ Hawkinson, Darren Waller, you, you got to plan for those guys. You don't plan for those guys, you can have some trouble. Yeah, I, one or two in there, I'm not. Firemuth is very good. I'm not sure you game plan. Not yet. Against him. Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, you do. Maybe even Goddard, oh, yeah. Hawkinson, yeah. Pitts, Waller, you'd better. Uh, yeah, Pitts when he's healthy. Definitely. He's healthy. And it, it that's maybe the, the differentiator. 
I would say that DK Metcalf is close to one of those guys. Yeah, I'm not sure he is because there's Lockett. But he's but, close. But he isn't far off. And I, I, I think Metcalf is one of those guys. You're, you're waiting for that monster year. Uh, he's had over 1,050 yards in receptions, I think, once the last four years. And that includes Wilson and a very good Geno Smith year. Yes. In 2022. Geno Smith, by the way. But he's still a top 10 receiver, Metcalf. Geno Smith okay. receiving votes in the best quarterback. Yeah, no, I know. ESPN that's, ranking, that's, and that's, Russell that's Wilson right. did Russell not. Wilson by the way, just not. to add no, that. pointed that if, out if you, were to, if you were to point out that the, uh, the top 10 and the also receiving votes, you would say that, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily rank them, but uh, obviously those receiving votes are considered better than those well, not. Russell Wilson would be no more better than 20th. Right. Now, I, I'm not saying there there was ever a time last year where you looked at Geno Smith as an MVP. Candidate. Oh, no, no. N- no. But, but, I was amazed at how steady he was. That there wasn't a lot of fluctuation in, in his performance. And you know what? I did go back and check last year. The first six or seven games, remember when the Dolphins were on that roll? Mm-hmm. And this is before Tua was getting concussed seemingly yeah. every other week. Uh, Tua was an MVP candidate. Yes. First six, seven games. Yes. yes, I think he was. I think he absolutely was. And who going into last year would have put Tua ahead of Russell Wilson? Nobody. 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 Quite literally nobody. nobody. And who would have suggested that the Miami Dolphins would win many more games than the Broncos? Probably in twenty twenty two. Very few. I mean, I think people knew that Miami was very on the upswing, few. but it would be very, very few. The very Broncos few. need more wins than the five they got last year, uh, but they have some time to work it out. If you're injured, you don't have time. You need wins, and you need them right now. You need to call our friends at Burnham Law. Their phone number is seven two zero eight four five seven zero zero one. Hire the winner. That's all they do. They're personal injury attorneys. Have years of experience fighting for their clients. They're easy to find. Locations in Fort Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, the DTC, Colorado Springs, and even up in Cheyenne. When you're injured, they'll push for you to get your maximum recovery, however it's best to get it, whether that's settling or going to trial. So don't hire someone you see up a billboard. Hire someone who you know is going to put your needs first and fight for you. That's our friends at Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. Sandy, can the Broncos narrow that gap in the tough AFC? Because all of the things that we're talking about, about the Broncos' own problems they need to fix, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. The other teams in the AFC are getting better. The quarterback race is deeper. How is the AFC going to align in a way that the Broncos can make any noise? Or is the deck already stacked against them? We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. We will talk about the uh, AFC in a moment, but I just want to let you know that I'm confused by it as the Colorado Rockies continue to baffle me. Our uh, friend of the program, Patrick Saunders, of course, of the Denver Post, uh, sent out the uh, Rockies lineup for today against the Astros. Uh, Jake Bird, the reliever, will be starting tonight as the Rockies are just going with a they're going with the opener concept. Uh, the, the, the bullpen game. Um, 
Weren't they off yesterday? <laughs> you can't even find, find a start. Uh, you had an off day yesterday. Well, I, I, you know, I, oh, I've, I've said this before. I, I read the Boston papers. I still follow the Red Sox pretty closely. And the complaint in Boston is that they don't have three starters. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, more than three starters. Uh, they've got Bello, who's Ooh, what's it like to have three starters? The Rockies right. probably love that's, that. That's, that's uh, Paxson is number two, and uh, Cutter Crawford is number three. Right, right. Um, but in effect, they have a fourth starter because two games out of every five they go with openers, except on the fourth day they start an opener, bullpen guy. And then they go to another bullpen guy who was a starter earlier this season, and he pitches, for example, last night in Oakland. I understand it's Oakland, but he's been in good form against other teams too. Uh, Right-hander by the name of Nick Pavetta. And Mm -hmm. he generally goes five or six innings, or in the case last night, longer, because he struck out 13 people. Yeah, And he pitched from the third through the eighth. So he pitched six innings last night. And he struck out 13. So Alex Cora, the manager, says, well, we we really don't have three starters. We we have four. Pavetta just doesn't start. He'll come in in the third. Just because he's, and this is one of those psychological mysteries. I, I don't know why you can pitch innings three through eight better than you can pitch innings one through six. But it's all in the head, I suspect. And he has numbers that if he were starting games over the last two, two and a half months, would place him among the top 10 pitchers in Major League Baseball. But he doesn't technically start. He comes in after the opener finishes up, and that's usually a couple of innings, no more than that. And I'm thinking... They're talking in Boston about how, we, oh, there's no starting pitching depth. and Boy, it is three or four starters got hurt. And no, they're not great, but they could start, and they could say, yeah, boy, you're going to just wipe out your bullpen. They have three at least serviceable major league starters and a fourth in Pavetta. The Rockies... With a day off yesterday, or going to Jake Bird tonight? Yes, with a day off. I mean, obviously, not to be fair, Herman Marquez out for the year with Tommy John surgery. Kyle Freeland, fortunately, Kyle avoided Freeland's on the surgery uh, over the weekend. Antonio Sensatella, it was revealed, also needs Tommy John surgery. He's out. He's, uh, he's out. out, and those are those were their top three starters coming into Under the year. Under so Austin, but, but other teams, but other teams have injuries too. They call somebody up, or right. they have somebody ready. There's to, nobody. Uh, they're, to call there's up. nothing. The cupboard's bare. For the for the Rockies, it is it is a mess right now. A little uh, cute little tip, by the way. Baseball, I love baseball because the, the history goes back so far. Uh, yesterday, for the, uh, the Cleveland Guardians, they ended up losing to the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's not really the story, but because of speaking of a team that manages injury, uh, Andy Rodriguez, their catcher, one of their top prospects in the farm system. I'm, I'm, pardon me, I'm sorry the, the, for the for the Pirates against the, the Guardians. Right. So the Pirates called up Andy Rodriguez yeah. out of Indianapolis. They started him, but they started him uh, against uh, against Cleveland here. But then the pitcher for Pittsburgh was Quinn Priester, 22, also called up because of injuries. Priester pitching to Rodriguez was the first time a rookie battery, pitcher and catcher, 
made their debuts throwing to each other yeah. since 1943. Yeah. The Rockies don't have a cat. That's why they can't trade Diaz. Oh, they, they, even, they, even if it might make they, they, sense to do it, because there's literally no catcher in the organization close to ready. who even the Rockies think is major league ready. Okay? That's, that's an unbelievable statement to make. And, of course, with the pitchers, Yes, they've had a lot of injuries to starting pitchers this year. But there isn't anybody who's ready to pitch in no. the major leagues to whom they could place a call and say, make a spot starter, Tim. Drew Romo was their first-round selection in 2020 and still is one of their more promising uh, prospects. But Drew, Drew Romo this year is in AA Hartford, uh, where he's hitting 242, which is okay, you know. Whatever, it's it's fine. He's actually coming along fine as a prospect, but you can't throw him in the majors. He's nowhere close to the majors. So that's just where they're stuck. And he'll turn twenty-two uh, in you know about two weeks. But he's he's over in in Hartford. Yeah, the Rockies' cupboard is bare. And when it comes to pitching, it's just a disaster. I mean, it's a disaster. I, I will give them this. The Rockies did in the draft go heavy this on year. college pitchers. Yeah. In other words, they yeah, finally they understood we need to get some guys who can get to the majors fast or faster. Yeah, <laughs> than the high school fast. kids they've been drafting. Uh, so that was that was pretty smart. Also, by the way, in case you missed a you know show, Tony Daly absolutely obliterated as a thirty fifth home run of the uh, yeah year. And Saw that, and uh, ridiculous. They beat the Yankees last night. And it, it seems that there's a terrific piece today, a long-form piece on ESPN.com on Otani. Should they trade him? Should they keep him? And Otani may be unique in contemporary sports, major star, who, of course, communicates through a translator. And... No one, including his teammates, including management, upper and field level, has any idea what his disposition is regarding his future I, with the Angels or with somebody I else. I know it would sting, but you're talking he about... he won't talk about You're talking it. about a one of one. And if I'm the Angels, as much as I... As much as it's a risk of you holding the bag, I can't trade this guy until I, I know for him. sure he's he's going to walk. I can't. I can't, trade can't, him. I can't. I read that piece. I can't. And I came I off my stance. I, I I read that piece. If he walks for nothing, he walks for nothing. I mean, it, he's the bad guy, do, I guess. Do, but I do can't, you know what the New York him. Mets are allegedly doing? Hmm. Offering anybody they want. No. <laughs> the New York Mets are putting out obviously misinformation as to all of the flaws they perceive with Otani. Oh, okay. The reason Why? for that okay. is the that they other think to worry about? by putting out that kind Maybe of the information, nope, has nothing to do They're with ridiculous. that. It has to do with making other teams think maybe he shouldn't give up as much. And the Mets, of course, are willing to give up anything and everything. Right. But you 
through this. I'm not saying it's smart, but yeah, I'm saying like, that's luck the lengths that. to which a team will go to find, you know, yeah, he's a pitcher. He could hurt his arm, all kinds of stuff. And and some of it true. plausible, some of it implausible. Everyone could be hurt. Yeah, he could have hurt his arm, but uh, you still was, have his uh, bat. What was Keith, Over, his Keith bat. Overman's great saying? You know, he's day to day. We're all day to day. It's life, day-to-day. right? Yeah. Uh, Otani yeah. leads all batters in home runs and OPS. He's fourth in strikeouts and strikeouts per nine innings among all pitchers. First in Major League Baseball wins a replacement. Some of the, the quotes today around the league after hitting the the home run uh, last night to win again was hilarious. Uh, this was just before the All Star game. We talk about the Red Sox. Alex Cora said this quote: "We should make a new award for him." This is something MLB hasn't seen since Babe Ruth. He's oh. not the best hitter. He's not the best pitcher, but he is the best player. And um, that's a kind of yeah, statement, I'd, too. I I dispute the best hitter part because I think uh, he, he might very well. I, be I the think best he hitter. is. No, he's not the best pitcher. He's not the best pitcher, but he is. But he's, a, he's a top 10 a, pitcher. A, a front top end 15. of the rotation pitcher. You know, yeah. I, I, I mean, yes, uh, it, it, you, you read the piece and, you know, listen, if I'm getting him, the pitching is a bonus, and he's yeah. a good pitcher. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know that he's great, but he's he's good. got he's got he's got he's very good, good strikeout I'm stuff. I'm getting him good. for his bat though, because any injury he suffers as a pitcher won't. It, it, in some cases, it would affect his ability to play, but in other instances, it wouldn't. Greg it, Maddox, it really wouldn't. Uh, as, as big a name as you can get, as right. cerebral a player, as great a player. Greg Maddox said, quote, he wrote, kind of reminds you of Nolan Ryan, and then he reminds you of freaking Barry Bonds. He's yeah. both of oh, those yeah. guys. Well, <laughs> y- yes, I-, I think he has. And I think his point is I mean, a-, a different style of pitching. Ryan wasn't an all-time did. top 10 pitcher either, but right. he did being, he brought, he's a strikeout but, ace, but brought the gas. Top 10 strikeout. And that's what Otani does. Otani's bringing it 99, striking right. out guys left right. and right, including right. Mike Trout, now, who now, fairly now talked will, about no one wants to face him. He, in this Trout, piece, fascinating piece. Where they talk about him as a pitcher, and they say there are times he has eight different pitchers, and they catalog those pitches. Yeah. So not that you're going to use figuring those, out but. he's got to call his own game mm-hmm. because you don't have time with a pitch clock right to go through and you're not various choices. So he gives signals on what he's going to throw, and there are pitches he throws same kind of pitches, but he'll throw them at different speeds, different depth, and all that. He has a tendency, if he throws a certain pitch and it's not perfect the way he wants it to be thrown, he'll throw it again and the batter will hit one 450 feet. And that happened on a couple of occasions during the time in which the writer of the piece Mm -hmm. was following the Angels. And so the writer asked Phil Nevin, the manager, about that. And Nevin says, listen. Whatever. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, that's kind of what I'd he be like. He prepares like, hey. for games oh, well. in any way he wants to. He prepares as well as anybody. I just leave him alone. Yeah, that's I, not, I'm he's not the least of my concerned problems. with right. his level of game preparation. But he, had, you know, he has some quirks. Strikeouts per uh, nine innings. Spencer Strider of Atlanta, of course, yeah. number one. I'm talking about freak of nature. Yeah. Blake Snell of the Padres second uh, and, and tied at third. Shohei Otani and Colorado's own Kevin Gossman pitching for the Blue Jays at yes. 11.9. Yes. That's right. Kevin Gossman's good pitch. Yeah, Gossman's been very, very good. Uh, Rockies tried to trade for him a couple years ago tried, and they gave up. Tried to. It was a mistake. Tried to. Oh, well. Yeah, or not very hard. Not, hard, not enough, hard enough, for sure. Not not hard enough, for sure. But it is amazing. You you went through this yesterday, but Otani's uh, OPS is 1.068. 
Next is Acuna with 1.007. And then you're down to Betts at 972, Freeman at 952, and Matt Olson at 933. I can't. If I'm the, it's if I'm the Angels, I can't trade him. How, how, you, can't, you cannot can't trade, trade him. him. And the, the, the gist of the piece is the Angels are trying every day to do something that persuades him to stay. And he seems to like generally the environment. And they are hoping that's enough. And again, one of the quotes in the piece, and I'm paraphrasing here, but you could pay him $500 million, it wouldn't be enough. You could pay him $700 million, it wouldn't be enough. You could pay him $900 million, and it wouldn't be enough over the course of a few years, right? There's no way... To put a dollar value on this, and I always guy. feel those guys From when five hundred million to nine hundred million, you know, yeah. When whatever, you try to trade whatever guys like it takes, that, this is the this is the challenge, and it's something that the teams need to do at those cases. If Otani walks, as bad as it is to just be left with a compensatory draft pick, at least to your fan base, you can argue, hey, we tried to keep him, uh, he left. Uh, you trade him, you run the risk of, of that kind of bad will forever, and you can't really put a price tag on that either. With the AFC is tough. The Broncos rookies are reporting. Aaron Anderson of Fox 31 will join us to break it both down next on Miley Sports. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.